0: I remember having conversations, you know, with people while I was kind of—I'd have to dribble out the project over weeks and weeks because you could only, you know, there were limits on how many pieces you could have, you know, mint per week, say, on super rare. So it took took me a while to get 40, 40 artworks kind of out, you know, into the public. And I remember having conversations like, "Man, wouldn't it be great? Like, it just makes sense that you could put you could easily just figure out a way to just—and I didn't know the technical." you know, steps to do this, but just makes sense to me that you could just put this algorithm like online and just let people create the outputs on the fly. You know what I mean?
1: And just buy them that way, like a vending machine. Hey there, good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing and this is my show, Decent People. Welcome back to the conversation. Today I'm really excited. I've got an amazing guest and someone I've admired for quite a while. Uh, it's Jeff Davis. He is the chief creative officer at Artblocks and one of the more celebrated NFT artists um, working right now. I have met Jeff a few times, uh, mostly through events hosted by Bright Moments, which is the um, in-real-life gallery that's on its world tour right now and and will be stopping in Tokyo in a few months for its latest show where they mint NFTs uh, in real time when you're there at the gallery. So it's kind of a mix of in-real-life and digital. I talked to Jeff today about uh, growing up in uh, outside of Chicago and um, becoming an art professor for 20 years and um, about some of the, uh, you know, his love of math and how that sort of informs um, a lot of of his art and we talked about, of course, Bright Moments and what they're doing and how um, Jeff has formed uh, quite a tight partnership with those guys like Seth Goldstein and the whole Bright Moments crew. With all that out of the way uh let's get to the conversation i hope you enjoy it thanks hey jeff how you doing welcome to the show
0: uh i'm great uh thanks for having me i'm excited to be here
1: yeah i'm really excited too it's an honor to have you on i'm a big fan um of, of all your work and uh what you are doing for the nft uh generative art space so uh this is a conversation i've really been looking forward to um so I think the last time I saw you was in Los Angeles at Bright Moments. And uh, since then, I believe you went to Tokyo to do uh, the latest installment of what they're doing in their world tour.
0: Yeah, I haven't gone. We- that hasn't happened yet. So that'll be early May. But yeah, I've been working on my um, project. I'm going to be participating there um, as an artist again, as I have in all the Bright Moments locations. So yeah, I'm getting my getting my project ready, getting my travel booked. Um, and I uh uh showcased the uh, kind of my work in progress uh during the bright moments event in la kind of the project oh, okay. i'm working on for that yeah, yeah. That,
1: i must have got that mixed up i thought you uh had already gone there but i think the you've you've uh they're on sale right and i believe they've sold out
0: yeah so the mint passes um went on sale yeah a few weeks ago i guess at this point yeah and so the the way that bright moments does it is they sell um, there are 11 artists in total um, participating um, in the uh, Tokyo collection for generative art. Um, And they sell them um, blindly. So you just get a mint pass, and you actually don't know which artist or project um, it's assigned to. Um, And then there's a reveal, which just happened recently, that uh, kind of essentially attaches the artists to the mint passes. So yeah, that all just kind of wrapped up. And it's nice actually like participating that way, because what happens is. all the kind of economics and sales part of the projects gets out of the way beforehand and then so when we actually show up on site and in the city to to do the minting and experience the events kind of all the all the financial portion of that is is out of the way and we
1: can just focus on the art experience then yeah yeah it's all about the art and yeah. uh, revealing and and people don't know what what it's going to look like the artist doesn't know it's uh yeah fascinating we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit but I'd love to talk to you about your background and kind of where you came from and uh you know uh how this all came about um so where did you grow up
0: uh, i grew up in the suburbs of chicago uh crystal lake uh illinois um lived there just my entire childhood um that's where i was raised and grew up and so you know made Sort of a normal suburban life, but, you know, trips into downtown Chicago, which is some of my first art exposure. I was doing that.
1: Yeah, it's a great art city and architecture city as well.
0: Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah,
1: What what were your parents doing at that point?
0: Uh, My mom was a stay-at-home mom um, and my dad was an actuary. Um, They had both uh, actually studied uh, mathematics at um lawrence university uh which is where i ultimately ended up going to college and i also (laughs) studied mathematics um as an undergraduate uh as well so yeah it was kind of it was funny a little bit of a legacy there both in terms of school and and subject
1: yeah i noticed um i thought it this encapsulated you really in just a few words your um your major there was a a bachelor's in math and studio art yes (laughs) yeah well i mean seen that
0: yeah i mean I I definitely started, you know, when I went to went to college. Um, I was I was always good at math. It was a subject I liked, you know, in high school. Um and that's kind of what I thought, you know, I would be studying um when I went to college. And I initially was toying with like adding uh, you know, a physics major with it. They seemed, you know, very related subjects and um I took some physics courses and I actually didn't like them as much as I thought I would. So then I just sort of said, well, I'll just, I'll just stick with the math part. Um, but uh, where I went to school, Lawrence University, it's a liberal arts college. And so you have to take a lot of um, different disciplines um, as a requirement um, for fulfilling your the liberal arts portion of your degree, regardless of what you major in. And so um, my I guess the beginning of my sophomore year um, I took a studio art class, intro to studio art, just to fulfill one of my liberal arts requirements, humanities type requirements, um, and I really liked it. It was the first time I actually really did art, sort of in a you know concrete way. Um, I, I think I probably always thought of myself as being a creative person, but not you know not really in terms of like anything specific or uh, an art form or a hobby or a design or anything like that, and. and my mom actually was was pretty creative, too. She did a lot of, like, craft-oriented things, um, quilting and, and uh, things of that nature. And so, I, you know, I think it was there, and I just didn't really realize it. Um, and then I took this studio art class, and I was like, this is great. I want to try some more of this. And so the next semester, I took uh, an intro to painting class and then followed that with an intro to printmaking class. And then by the end of my sophomore year, I was looking at my schedule and figuring out how to add uh, a studio art degree on top of the the math degree um,
1: that yeah. I was pursuing. But as a kid, did you like to draw or did you have an artistic inkling? Like you said, your mom was sort of creative, but w-
0: yeah, I mean, I think all, so a little or? bit. I mean, I really, yeah, I liked, I don't know if it, not drawing so much. I really liked coloring. Uh, you know, I, I remember like, um, as a child having these really like, um, this memory of these coloring books that we had, but they were really like, they're more like adult coloring books. I don't, I don't mean that in terms of content, but just in terms of like complexity, yeah. um, like yeah. really, really complicated, like yeah, I know that, almost I know exactly fractal patterns about. and things like that. And I would get these yeah. massive, uh, you know, marker sets and I would spend right. just hours Like it's hours a
1: cathedral, going, right? Or exactly. Something that exactly. Yeah. And like
0: coloring those sorts of things. And that, that was really, you know, I loved doing that. Um, also I had, um, uh my dad was really interested in early personal computing like and and introducing me to that and so i had some really early computers early on um that i also liked to tinker with and so i so that always felt like a creative <laughs> outlet yeah. to me too just yeah. sort of like hacking away at a you know um an apple 2e or were you building your own computer like you could kind no of build, no com- he would find you know? ones that were you know um you know, that were off the shelf. I mean, one of the first ones we had had this weird, like you would plug it into a black and white TV and it, it had a, like a membrane keyboard and then, um, uh, you would attach uh, a cassette recorder to it and you could wow. record, you know, it, it served as basically the disk drive. So you could, you could program on it and then record a bunch of, you know, leaps and bloops <laughs> yeah. into a tape deck, which you could then play back into the machine to like load, you know, the program. And so, um, that was an early one. And then I had an Apple, uh, 2e, um, when that came out and that was sort of like next level, <laughs> um, yeah. computing. Um, it and reminds so, me yeah. of
1: Pong. Did you ever have Pong?
0: Uh yep. Yeah, for sure. Actually yeah. that first computer that I was telling you about, like I that was probably one of the first things I learned how to program. You'd get like magazines and things like that <laughs> that would have like code base uh-huh. in them. And so I think that was one of the first things I programmed on that on that other yeah, computer.
1: That's great. Yeah, I remember programming like if-then games, you know, where you, yeah. you would have like, you know, choose your own adventure basically, but um on the prompt line of the computer.
0: Um but yeah, so I mean, I think I was involved in a lot of things. Um I I really like skateboarding and like the culture and kind of the graphics culture around that. Um, and so I don't, there just was a lot of things that I think both felt creative to me, probably influenced me creatively. Um, I just didn't really like have an organization to it man, or yeah. or I didn't like. You know, I didn't. It's hard explicitly, as a kid, right? How do you know? Yeah, you didn't explicitly what, yeah. say like, "Oh, I'm a creative, or I like drawing, or I'm, I'm an artist, or whatever." And it wasn't until like I took some formal sort of training on it that it would just really open my eyes to like things I and, probably had been thinking about, yeah, but yeah. I just didn't really like understand
1: what I was, yeah, what I was thinking. Kind about. of under the surface, right? Were you when you were you know good at math and and things like that? Were you did you have a plan in mind there? Like, was it engineering that you thought you might want to go to architecture or?
0: Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I just knew that math was a good, you know, path for me. And I enjoy, I just, I still do. I enjoy doing math problems. Um, but I think probably when I was in college, my thinking was I really like college. And so maybe I just want to stay in college. And so I will, you know, pursue math and go on and get my master's, my PhD, and then I'll come back and I'll teach. <laughs> I'll
1: I was, teach at yeah, college. And so that was same. kind of
0: probably how I was. Um, yeah. And ultimately, I ended up following that road, but for art instead, that was kind of my initial, um, interest in majoring in art. And then I went straight to grad school to get my MFA, which is the terminal degree for, for being a studio artist. And then, uh, you know, the plan was to return back to college to be an art professor.
1: So when art kind of grabbed you as an undergrad, um, what what were you what medium were you working in and what was it that that you loved about it that made you make this shift in your life
0: yeah i mean i i just started with painting it just seemed like the lowest hanging fruit to just something to get your hands on and sort of make um the i very quickly adopted uh, a hard edge geometric style to my work and which isn't surprising given sort of my background in math. I mean, we just kind of went into geometry and abstraction pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, paint was just readily available and you could make a, make a surface and start painting on it. Um, but I, you know, I never, I don't know how would I, say, I, I never really enjoyed the act of painting. Um, it was always sort of a production process for me, like a factory process. Um, I, I would before I would start a painting, I would know exactly what I want the thing to look like. Like I'd have already like sketched it out and figured out the colors and the structure of it. And so painting was just like, just a building process of what that thing was. There was no, there was no discovery that happened through the process It was like a means to an end. I yeah, exactly. Of... It was just a production. Um, and so, and because the work I was doing was very straight and precise and you know i did as best as i could with paint to achieve that but i never was quite happy with with the level of precision um, that i could achieve um in painting and so yeah i started experimenting with other things um printmaking um in in college i was doing lithography and and wood you know wood block prints mm-hmm. and things of that nature etching um, and then when I got to grad school, I started exploring, um, silk screening, and that was probably out of all the, I guess, fine art mediums that I experimented with that one felt the most precise and kind of <laughs> was able to get the most precision out of, out of that, out of anything else.
1: Oh, do, do you think you get that precision, that desire for precision from your math background? Because obviously math is a precise science, right? It's either right or it's wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's just, I don't know, I just, I started just developing approach to um, what I wanted to do artistically. Um, And it, it, it's not, it's not that it was like straight up like math, but it was, I was doing a lot of um, uh, sort of representational abstraction. So I would look at my surroundings around me, particularly architecture. Um, And I try to, sort out what the most basic underlying structure was in the things that i was looking at and in and, and sort of imbuing them with symmetry and proportion um and so in kind of doing that it just got to a point where if i want i wanted things to be uh proportionally equal to each other one to one one to two one to three one to four and so it to be able to express that properly those those Numbers needed to be right or, or, you know, or the edges of things need to be straight. And so, yeah, it, it, it kind of, I, I, think, I think the art that I was engaged in early on was about ordering, was about ordering my surroundings. And so, yeah, I think that that's where the desire for, for precision came from as well
1: and were there artists that you were admiring at that point that sort of um were were, you know had done this sort of thing before or did you feel like you were kind of this was something that you just needed to to get out
0: yeah i mean no i mean definitely lots of influences um i I was initially really influenced by pop art um and just kind of like bold colors and, and flat colors um graphic lines outlining things um and then um minimalism was a big influence on me as well just this idea that you know a work of art could be sort of like stripped down to its just bare minimum you know elements and you're just sort of exposing that and that was just really really appealing um to me um so i mean just in a general sense yeah that, those sorts of things um and then a more specific one is um uh, joseph albers is just huge, huge influence on me. And that, that kind of came more to me th- during grad school, um, studying color, uh, color theory there. And it was based on his book, um, interaction of color. Um, but just also just because I was approaching, um, art, uh, th- say through my graduate studies with the intentions of returning to education and teaching art. And Albers was a you know, kind of had a similar arc. You know, of his career he was a practicing artist, but also it was very important to him to um, be an educator. And so there was kind of a element to his work that I, I, I that I drew from. That it it can be, you can, the work itself can be visually beautiful, but it can also be sort of like explanatory about like what it is or what it's trying to convey. Like it can be sort of educational in a sense as well.
1: Yeah, and then. What was it like after grad school? um I know a lot of m f a you know I don't know a lot about this, but I, I do get the impression that it can be hard to find a teaching position uh yeah. you know what how was that in the art world is it the same way or how's that um what's that like
0: yeah no it's very it's very very competitive um so immediately after well during grad school um and this kind of goes back to the fact that i was Generally interested in computers, just sort of you know not not for artistic use, but just you know just interested in technology. Um, while I was in grad school, I taught myself the basics of um, it wasn't called Adobe Creative Suite, but the Adobe suite of products. So I taught myself Photoshop and Illustrator. Um, I taught myself to do you know uh, the internet was just coming of age, and so I taught myself how to make basic. You know, web pages, um, thinking that that could be sort of a fallback position. Um, you know, if I need a job, you know, if I could, if I knew how to use this software, then I could maybe do some design work or something like that. Um, and so immediately out of grad school, that's what I did. I stayed in Chicago um, and I was a consultant. Um, uh, and I basically went into design firms and I helped designers learn how to use i was it was kind of weird it was like i was teaching software but inside of design firm so i'd go in and help help their designers learn how to use illustrator or learn how to use photoshop and sort of the basic functionality so um that was interesting and then um basically my path towards um trying to enter the education space is why i currently live in the phoenix area now i moved out here um in, she's 97, 98, um, for a teaching job that uh, I was offered here, and it was at a charter high school, um, and they primarily wanted me to teach math, <laughs> um, but they did have an art class, and so I had the ability to sort of additionally teach um, some some art classes as well, um, and so the the idea was I'd move out here, get a few years of experience under my belt, and then you know, maybe move back to the Chicago area or or mm. to a you know campus somewhere where I would you know kind of take that next step. And I actually never ended up leaving. I uh, started doing some uh, evening courses at the Art Institute of Phoenix, which was a campus of a larger network of design design schools. Um, I was teaching Photoshop and some color theory um, in the evenings there, and then they eventually um, decided to pilot an online university. And just, this was like 1999, uh, 2000. And it was kind of, it was pretty cutting edge at the time to, um, you know, think about offering, well, just, just online education, period, but thinking about offering something visual like art and design. And so um, I helped build some of the first classes um, for the school, taught them, and then basically that became my full-time job in 2000 um, and I stayed with the art Institute online uh, for 20 years after that <laughs> um, yeah, teaching. That's the, um,
1: yeah. right that's the University of Phoenix right that you see everywhere now well
0: it? it's it's actually not so the University of Phoenix is yeah another big online university here so this was you know similar they were probably just kind of getting started in that same time zone as well but yeah so this was the art institutes they're headquartered actually in pittsburgh um and uh, they don't really well, they might have a few campuses left but at the height of their you know kind of uh growth they had campuses in pretty much every major metropolitan city in the u.s if not multiple um and it was geared towards teaching kind of uh, applied arts so you would get a degree in graphic design or web design or fashion design, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. Um, and I taught in the um, foundations department. So they had a first year program that regardless of your ending point of study, um, there was kind of a common curriculum that everybody took. And so it was your basic intro to art classes. So I taught uh, design fundamentals, color theory. Um, we taught drawing um things of that nature. In, intro to Illustrator, intro to Photoshop, um, sure. intro to design yeah. applications.
1: And had you um I, I just learned this recently. Um that digital art kind of goes back, I think, to the seventies. Um had you stumbled across any of that at this you know, on on your journey up to this point?
0: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it goes back to probably fifty, I mean the advent of the first computers like in the late fifties. But um no, I mean I was not aware um that that history necessarily existed, and so my, you know, the my degree at the Art Institute of Chicago was in painting and drawing, and I took normal art history classes, you know, as part of that degree, and so my framing of like art history was through that lens, you know, kind of right. understanding art through your more traditional, you know, survey of of Western art, uh, you know, from whenever to you know modern day um but yeah in that that kind of you know kind of the computer art movement that i'm more familiar with now yeah it wasn't really part of that um, it doesn't really get uh, uh, mentioned
1: does it in the pantheon right Um, yeah um and then uh, i was really interested to to see that you have written two textbooks on art uh and 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 how, how did that come about
0: Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of part and parcel with my, you know, progression through kind of higher education. And So, yeah, after I taught, you know, I was teaching, like I said, design fundamentals, color theory for, for many, many years, I just got to a point where, um, I decided to write textbooks that I would, you know, if I was going to make a textbook for the classes that I was teaching, this is, (laughs) this is the content, you know, I wanted to put together. And so, um, Uh, Yeah, so I wrote, initially wrote um, Foundations of Design, Um, actually during kind of, uh, I've, on a few different occasions, I've gone on um, artist residencies um, at different places, and so um, I did an artist residency at Vermont Studio Center for a month, um, somewhere along the line, and I did it, I did a different month at the, the Wurlitzer Foundation in Taos, Mexico, and in each of those residencies, I used, I basically took a month long sabbatical to do each of those, and they were geared towards sort of having dedicated time to um, create art and just explore your art. Yeah. Um, but I would do that during the day, and then after dinner, I would spend my evenings uh, writing, working on these textbooks. And so um, the first one I wrote was um, Foundations of Design. Um, it was initially picked up by um, Cengage Publishing, which is kind of a Academic um, publishing company. Um, and I ended up not being super happy with kind of how what they were doing with the book in terms of marketing and sales. Um, and I knew I had another one kind of you know queued up that I wanted to do, which was foundations of color, which is kind of the follow on to foundations of design. So um, I ended up writing that one and self-publishing it um, and just sort of building my own sort of, publishing arm to support that book and then eventually was able to get foundations of the rights to foundation of design back and self-publish that one as well and so yeah so i have both those two books and um you know they're still utilized in curriculum across across the u.s and yeah (laughs) yeah it's kind of great
1: yeah I, you yeah. don't have to tell me about uh, my publisher who will go unnamed uh, did absolutely nothing to market or you know promote my book so i, I hear you on that front yeah and, it's, it's and it was you know it was nothing against them it was
0: just i it was just a it was a matter it was a weird timing issue like the book came out during a restructuring period for the company and it just kind of got lost in the shuffle but yeah. um but yeah i mean that was a fun process and it's just it was kind of just really you know our and writing those books and teaching and it was all just kind of part of like what my career was right they all the the writing fed into the fact that i was you know stemmed from my teaching and fed back into my teaching and my art making was kind of in support of my teaching as well and so it was it's just kind of all bundled together into a you know yeah and then
1: i find it really interesting how you um the lack of precision was sort of what drove you more and more towards digital art. Um yeah when did that really start to to pick up for you in in this journey of when you're an art professor and uh writing textbooks and things like yeah. that
0: Yeah I mean it just it um you know it came from the fact that I learned some of these design tools when I was in grad school and I was actually you know for many years I would use them I could know, like use Adobe Illustrator but I'd use it like a sketchbook um so I would I kind of mentioned this before I would map out exactly what my composition and color system would look like for a work of art. And then I'd be like, okay, that's the thing I need to make it. And then I would take that plan essentially. And I would execute it in paint or create a silkscreen or or whatever um, the situation was. And part of that was that I didn't really think of what I was doing digitally as like a work of art. It was a preparatory thing um, that I was doing and thought, well maybe I could figure out how to print these, you know, like digital prints, but kind of when I was engaged in that kind of work, the, the quality of printing didn't feel like it was worthy of being a work of art. Um I didn't I didn't feel like the, the output that I would have been able to achieve with the existing printing technology at that time. Um was strong enough i guess you know just it felt secondary to like making a painting or doing something else doing a uh, more traditional print and it is, um, is this
1: just like when computer monitors were like crt still or was it still yeah, sort of like that for sure. era yeah yeah so and that's, so that's, i mean there was, either, there was there right? was
0: inkjet prints sure but you know you could see the resolution and you know and paper quality you know it you i don't know it's just it wasn't great and i just wasn't comfortable like using that as the expression of like what i was trying to do But eventually that caught up. And so I think probably, yeah, 99, 2000, um, I started realizing that there there was printing technology that was like more compelling and that I could use. And so at that point, I was still working in the same way where I was like hand drawing um, architectural abstraction of my drawings. Or of my surroundings and I was doing it digitally but then I was like I'm going to just print these from my illustrator files or photoshop files and then that's how I started working for many years for probably about 10 years um so um digital creation digital production not generative yet at that point I was just still you know they were um all decisions that I was making myself and and based on you know my visual surroundings and yeah Um, So yeah, I was kind of for I probably for about ten years um, just consider myself sort of a digital printmaker, Um, and I I I do often just the way that I worked anyway is like uh, I would work in series um, very often Um, I'd sort of develop a structure to explore and then create similar variants inside of that structure, Um, and so I would work in sets of three or five or eight or ten, and so you know again not not. truly generative, but I was kind of working, starting to ease into that direction so kind of over a period of time. And working digitally helped me um, do more of that because I could, I could work more quickly or explore ideas more thoroughly or more deeply. Yeah. It's almost like when, it's not a template,
1: but you have the sort of...
0: Yeah. No, I think that's actually a good way to sort of think about it. It wasn't like a hard template, but I would come up with an idea and I'd be like, okay, but I could also explore variants inside the same concepts and keep a lot of the same framework and create a series of eight pieces instead of a singular piece and if i didn't have to paint take the time (laughs) to build and paint them all each individually then i was a little bit more agile you know and so i started working yeah yeah so i was able to work a little bit more think about depth i guess a little bit more in my work yeah
1: Yeah. do you think growing up outside of chicago and then your time at the art institute of chicago because when I look at a lot of your work, you said it's geometric, but it also seems very architectural to me. Oh, for sure. Do do, do you think that influenced you? And 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 like, I mean, Chicago is a great skyscraper city, um, and I see a lot of that in your work. Did, did was that conscious, or or do you, where do you think that comes from?
0: Yeah, I mean, I probably it. Yeah, both conscious and unconscious. I mean, it absolutely just um, the geometry of the city, or just. Just really, I think, got into my mind as something that you know that I could draw from, you know, um, draw draw inspiration from. And so, for sure, yeah. I mean, I knew that what I was doing during that period of my artistic career, I was, I was very explicit about it. I was essentially looking at the architecture, and 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 when I say architecture, I don't necessarily mean like, it's just it could be very mundane things like a door frame you know and a wall it didn't you know it didn't have to be something that was like this compelling you know architectural specimen um but just literally the fact that yeah that you're just surrounded by lines and rectangles and squares and right angles like that just was ample you know fodder for me to like create geometric abstractions based
1: off of So, yeah yeah for sure and then let's let's fast forward a little bit um when did you sort of get into the or how were you exposed first to you know maybe blockchain in general or crypto and then can you just sort of lay out how you were first um i believe you were approached by art blocks to to do some work for them if i'm not mistaken
0: yeah um well i, I can back up just a little bit before that um so probably around 20 20- 10 or so, um, I started uh, wanting to introduce randomness into the work that I was doing. Um, and so uh, I initially started tinkering with things like spreadsheets and other ways to just create random decisions or random tables of data. Um, and then I would use that information to, to then guide, say, the construction of a composition or color choices that I would make. Um, And that was really intriguing to me. It was just sort of a new direction for my work. And then I realized, like, this is really tedious to do this. Like, there must be a way to like automate, like, have these decisions be made, but also have the drawings happen simultaneously um, with the decision-making process. The kind of the randomized decision-making process. And so that's when I started uh, learning processing. Um, And so. Um, That was kind of my foray into generative art. I taught myself
1: processing and some basic. By processing, do you mean you're actually writing code now?
0: Yes. Yeah. So sorry. Processing is kind of like was one of the kind of one of the first programming languages. It's based on JavaScript, but it was it was geared towards artists and visual output. Um, And so uh, I just from some research just discovered it and just started teaching it myself to me to, to how to program in it. Okay. Um, I had never really done programming before, but again, sort of, I think my math background is kind of coming into play. I mean, the, the logic of it made sense to me. Um, and so, um, so that started my career in of art. And so that's how I've been pursuing my art now for the last, whatever, t- 13, yeah. <laughs> 13 yeah. years, um, since then. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, yeah, blockchain, um, in 2019, um, I started exploring NFTs. I really didn't have any um, background in crypto. You know, I, I probably knew what Bitcoin was just from the news, you know, but no real understanding of what that meant or what a block, you know, just knew, oh, it's cryptocurrency. Um, but at some point in 2019, my recollection is, is that um, a platform or two Um, Started following me on Twitter. I think super rare and maybe known origin. um, Started following me on Twitter, and I actually didn't really use Twitter all that much. So was I noticed, (laughs) you know, if somebody followed me, I probably had a notification, and I'm like, oh, let me go check that out. And I went in and looked at these platforms, and I was trying to figure out how they worked. And ultimately, I was really, really intrigued by this idea of that the artwork on these sites was digital. Um, You weren't like buying an artwork and then getting a print or something like that. And that there was a market for these things, like people were buying and selling digital artworks. And given, you know, at that point, I'd been doing generative art for, you know, 10 years or so and been, you know, producing work digitally. But, you know, the end point was always a print, you know, like, or something physical that I would create you know from my algorithms um i was just really interested it was like oh okay well i let me just tinker around this and play and so i bought $20 $40 worth of ethereum on coinbase and that was going to be my minting supply and just see see what happened and and so yeah so i minted some of my first pieces on super rare um and sold them for you know 0.1 ETH or something, which was like like $20 or something yeah. at the time. Was, and But it was like, it, that, that didn't matter. Period. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like I was trying to do it to like make a bunch of money or like, I thought this was going to be like lucrative, but it was really cool. So just like, I put this thing online, someone bought it digitally and I received 0.1 ETH back and that, that can pay for the next thing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was experimenting with that. I was still kind of keeping my normal art practice intact. I was still, you know, creating projects that I would turn into prints and exhibit, you know, locally and that sort of thing. Um, and just the more the more I kind of, you know, got got into NFTs, just the more interesting I thought it was. And so um Later, probably actually, probably, yeah, late 2019, early 2020. I was like, I'm going to try to just like, oh, it's, I guess what I had been doing for the work that I was turning into NFTs is I was taking existing projects that I had been working on already. And then I would just run like essentially additional outputs from those algorithms and then mint those. And then, Mm -hmm. um, so it was just, I wasn't necessarily doing anything new or specific. Um, in the NFT space. They were just sort of extensions of, of the other of other work I was already doing. And so early 2020 or so, I was like, I'm going to just like go in, like I'm going to go all in and just dive in for a period of time and just really focus on, on NFTs and try to figure this out. And so I got really active on Twitter and try- figuring out who's in the space and who to follow, who to talk to. Um, and then I created my first project specifically for um for just nft distribution that was different from other things i was working on it was uh, called the series was called abstract tokens and it was a series of 40 nfts that i did um uh, and i minted them kind of on a combination of super rare and rareable and you know, got, you know, tried to market myself and and kind of, you know, be a little bit more active and and have more of a voice on Twitter about what I was doing. And it was, it was a pretty successful project. Um, but the the nature of what I was, it was a generative project. You know, I wrote algorithms for that work. Um, I'd run the algorithm and then I would hand select outputs, create PNG files, and then that's that's the things I would mint on super. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great project and really got me kind of uh, immersed into the culture as it were in the community. And then, but I, I remember having conversations you know, with people while I was kind of, I'd have to dribble out the project over weeks and weeks because you could only, you know, there were limits on how many pieces you could have, you know, mint per week, say on Super rare. So it took, took me a while to get 40, 40 artworks kind of out you know, into the public. And I remember having a conversation like, man, wouldn't it be great? Like, it just makes sense that you could put, you could easily just figure out a way to just, and I didn't know the technical, you know, steps to do this, but it just makes sense to me that you could just put this algorithm like online and just let people create the outputs on the fly. You know what I mean? And just buy them that way, like a vending machine. That's kind of how I was describing it. And so later uh, in 2020, Um, I received an email from uh, Eric Calderon, uh, founder of Artblocks. And he said, I, you know, discovered your work. Uh, I I really enjoy it. I think you'd be a really, you know, you're doing generative work. I think you'd be a great fit for this platform that I'm working on um, called Artblocks. And so that was it. It was a cold sort of... you know, introduction of the platform and an invitation to join. Um, And I I said to him, I said, oh, my gosh, this is this is awesome. You're describing this thing that I I was also interested in this art vending machine. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Like a generative vending machine. Um, So I got my first project together and, and, uh, you know, I was a little nervous at first because I thought, you know, technically, I didn't know if I understood enough to, like, you know, deploy the project. Like I hadn't, you know, I didn't know what like test nets were or, um, you know, token hashes or <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So, but Eric was very, you know, gentle and patient with me and kind of stepped me through a lot of that process. Um, and yeah, and then we went live um, with the first uh, projects and art blocks. It, it was actually Black Friday, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, twenty twenty. Um, so he had a project, Eric did, his brother, uh, DCA, and myself. And so the, th- those three projects, Chromie Squiggles, Genesis, and Construction Token, um, all went live kind of on opening day um, for Artblocks.
1: Yeah. And I mean, since then, Artblocks has grown into this huge, um, one of the most influential platforms for generative NFT art. It's I think it's sales. I, I don't know secondary market sales are obviously like through the roof. They're in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and I, I was interested to hear you talk about randomness and, and you wanted to, um, and, and, you know, and in, infuse randomness into your art. Um, on the one hand, you said, you know, you, you sort of liked the efficiency of doing series right on in, in a digital format where you could do many different, takes on us on a certain sort of approach um, in a relatively quick time compared to painting them by hand was there something That's else in this episode that, that thanks for joining to... us and don't forget to rate and follow yeah, I mean, this show on I apple know, spotify and amazon music my early work decent people is a production of Decentral media but it is produced by matt bogart with music by brian duncan and kareem imes
0: algorithmic spaces and so there would only be like a handful of decisions that you could make, or you could completely exhaust the system, you know, in eight tries or something like that. Um, and so, the randomness part became more appealing to me when you would you could develop systems that were bigger than you could sort of deal with in terms of iterating over the space of that system yourself, just um, through your own doing. And so, randomness kind of allows you this sense of like you can create a highly structured or ordered system or not, I suppose, but I, I do the way, the way I like to work is create a really highly ordered and structured system, but maybe it's large enough that you, to, to understand what's happening inside of it, you have to introduce randomness because otherwise you'll just get stuck in some portion of that space. I don't know if that makes sense, but the the randomness sort of frees you up to um think about the overall system than individual's decisions within that system. And so, um, and then when you pair that with computing and coding, um, you're able to iterate super, super rapidly inside of that system and sort of start to understand what it looks like, how it feels. And that can then inform your refinement or development of the system, Um, by seeing lots of outputs.
1: So then you, I mean, I don't know how quickly this came about, but you are the chief creative officer at Artblocks. Um What, what does that title entail? Like, what, what are you, what uh, are you looking for new people to bring onto the platform? Are you um, kind of making decisions about the direction you guys want to go next or w- what's that like?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, essentially it just means that, you know, I, I have responsibility over the team that is kind of, uh, works with artists and the art and the projects that come, come out of art blocks. So the kind of the creative yeah. output of, of art blocks is essentially, you know, in, in my domain. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially I, um, you know, when I, when Eric contacted me and we, you know, I had went live with my project, I actually, at that point had stopped teaching um, uh, at, in higher education um, and I was doing some entrepreneurial work kind of on my own. Um, I started a, a, a print print polishing company called Dave's Editions, and I would work with contemporary artists um to create uh digital prints um of their artwork. And that's what that's what essentially my day job was when I was doing, you know, NFTs at night and did, you know, kind of got going on art blocks. And so after, you know, art blocks kind of started just you know, first couple of projects came through, I just approached Eric and said, Hey, I, you know, I, I'd love to help you build this thing. I'm just really intrigued with what you're working on. Um, Here's a skill set, you know, essentially that I have from what I've been doing over the last couple of years, which is managing artists, helping them bring projects uh, to online sales, (laughs) essentially. Um, And I said, I can just, I can just pivot out of that, and I could do it here at Artblocks, and he just sort of pitched them and said, "This is what I could help, and yeah. if if it's a you know of interest to you, and that would allow you to sort of focus on sort of the business elements or the tech elements, you know, of of Artblocks." And yeah, he thought that was a good idea. Um,
1: and Talk about so great so, timing!
0: Yeah, yeah. And that so was... I was the first, yeah, official employee employee of Artblocks, um, and. Yeah. And so that's just been my role. It's um, just been working. It's it's just it's been a dream come true, to be honest, like yeah. sort of having this front row seat to work with all these amazing generative artists and, you know, help them uh, be supported and bring bring their projects to life. And so um, it, there's just I, it's I guess it's kind of a thread, I suppose, through a lot of my career, through education and through the entrepreneurial yeah. work, I get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing other artists succeed you know i mean not just not just focusing on my own artwork i really get a lot out of helping other artists (laughs) bring their work to life sounds like
1: that's definitely in your educational background um, and desire but another great collaboration with you has been with seth goldstein at um right moments um where you've participated in several of his shows um in los angeles and all around the world um how did you meet seth and and can you talk a little bit about the bright moments experience and what it's like to be there with the person who's going to buy your nft as it's being unveiled before both of your eyes for the first time i mean that's one of the more amazing things to me about this um space
0: yeah i mean so the you know my bright moments story actually is does not start all that differently (laughs) from my art block story um seth dm me on twitter and said hey i like your artwork. um i'm starting uh, an nft gallery in la um, i think you should check it out and so <laughs> i set up a there call with him yep and uh he kind of gave me a video walkthrough through the space and and it's humble
1: beginnings uh twitter has been very good to you
0: yes <laughs> yes it has <laughs> um and but i had been so this was you know kind of all of my nft career has been during uh, sort of pandemic era um and so as i was kind of getting into nfts and digital art um i wasn't i was no longer having opportunities or pursuing things sort of in the physical world because uh, things weren't open there wasn't opportunities mm-hmm. to go have a gallery opening and so increasingly sort of my art practice just became sort of online um and sort of that's where my work was being presented and where it was being talked about and where I was engaging with people. Um, And so bright moments kind of came along. It was sort of at the first, you know, people were just starting to get their second vaccines and kind of lockdown was starting to, to lift a little bit. And so the timing was really good for me too, because I was really interested in like, I really want to get back to this sort of social aspect of my, in real life, social aspect of of presenting my work, getting it on the walls, showing it to people, interacting with them in a in a physical space, and so um, it didn't. I didn't need too much convincing that I wanted to experiment with, <laughs> you know, doing yeah. that. And so, bright moments was the first, yeah, you know, kind and of place. I, I uh, that I that i found definitely coming out of the pandemic
1: that that human connection of being together with people again in a gallery and you know uh, everyone enjoying the artwork and stuff was was a huge um deal just um beyond the fact that seth and the, the folks at bright moments had the you know very smart idea of you know bridging the gap between the real world and the nft world by by making people come in and mint things in person
0: yeah yeah and it started it started the minting came a little later and so, like, my first show uh, was um, Portals um, in Venice Beach. Yeah. And what we did there is I actually created a, an Blocks project, but I we didn't really have a mechanism for, like, live minting. There just, like, it, there wasn't really a way to functionally do it. And so what we did instead is I pre-minted them the whole... It was only a project of 10 outputs, but I pre-minted all 10. And then we sold them on auction um, in the gallery during the opening. Um, We just listed them, you know, on auction, on OpenSea, ran the auctions. Um, And then after that, I think they had other shows like that. But then they decided the next place they wanted to go was New York. And so the period between moving from L.A. to New York, uh, the Bright team got their, you know, figured out how to approach this idea of IRL minting. So doing the minting actually in the space Mm -hmm. in real time. Um, It's where they came up with the concept of mint passes that could then be redeemed, you know, burned essentially to, um, to do the, to do the IRL minting. And so uh, I did a project uh, in New York called Reflections. And so that was my first experience with um, actually minting directly, you know, in a real life setting with, the collectors um and that was i mean that experience was amazing i mean i just i i don't even know it was so special so it was we would have seven or eight collectors they would go down into the basement of the building they would mint their work and not see it and then they would come back upstairs to where the main gallery was and there was a monitor for each one of them and they would stand in front of their monitor and then ta-da the, the artwork yeah. was you know yeah. revealed to them um and then i would walk down the line and i would talk to each individual person um like because it was new to me too and so we were experiencing it for the first time together um and i would kind of figure out what features were at play and explain them to the the collector and kind of what they you know help explain what they were seeing yeah, and then amazing give them a hug and then I'd go do it the next time and we did that Times a hundred minutes over the course um, of a night, and it was just yeah, it was a really special, special yeah. event. And I was it at really that event. Changed... I didn't, yeah, I
1: unfortunately, didn't get to see you, but I was there for the Tyler Hobbs night, which was okay. Um, yeah, amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, and but it really changed, yeah, my approach, and so that was also part of what sort of like locked me into the fact that as much as uh bright moments will have me uh, i would like to continue (laughs) you know (laughs) presenting my artwork in this you know in this way and so yeah so i've been a artist at at, you know they've thankfully you know not gotten sick of me and i've been an artist at every city um since so
1: and and i would imagine this has changed your life entirely right did you ever think as you were going through your art career you know years ago that i mean I, i think i would imagine correct me if I'm wrong, but this is probably paying the bills, right? And this is this is what you're doing. And, and yeah, did you ever think it, that you it's... would get to this point, like something like this?
0: No, no, never. I mean, you, you sort of always sort of dream of it. Like, oh, yeah, someday, you know, my art will be, you know, popular enough that you know, maybe I can just support myself as an artist. Um, but even now, I mean, even if that is true, I'm still working at art blocks full time. I mean, I've always just always had like, a day job, and then the art was sort of in addition to the day job kind of thing. Um, So I don't know. So, I mean, but yes, I mean, the trajectory of what's been happening over the last several years is just, it's really hard to like, understand, you know, I mean, this, the opportunities that have come up are just, I can't i feel really blessed you know that yeah, well, travel that i've been able to do and the people i've been able to meet and the exposure congratulations though because i mean yeah. the
1: opportunity there but you have to be ready for it and you obviously um we're ready for it and are ready for it um jeff this has been a, a really fascinating conversation thank you for for taking us back over your background and your history and, and how you got to here today um why don't you let people know how they can find you um if they'd like to to find you online
0: yeah, well, it's, first of all, yes, thank you so much for the conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate uh, appreciate the time and space. Um, really, the best place to to find me is probably Twitter. Um, I'm at Jeff G. Davis um, on Twitter. That's where most of my Web3 dialogue occurs. Um, uh, but you could also find me on Artblocks. Um, just search Jeff, G., Jeff Davis um, in the search bar. I have quite a few projects there, so you can check that out.
1: All right. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Jeff, and good luck in Tokyo. I hope that it goes well and is as exciting as all the other um, Bright Moments events, and uh, would love to talk to you again sometime in the future.
0: You bet. Thanks so much. Yeah, hope to see you again soon.